2: convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive.
1: Welcome back for the 41st time to the Triple Threat Theater podcast. My name is Ryan Miller. Hey,
3: I'm Joe Daxberger.
1: Hey, Dax. Hey, Millsy. 41, huh? Look at that. 41. Guess what we're doing to celebrate the random number of 41 episodes? Tell the people. We're having a guest on this episode. Oh, oh, yes. This is a big get. We've been trying since season one. He's finally here. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and introduce yourself, guest.
4: Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Weiner. It's good to be on a podcast again. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> been a while?
4: Yeah, it has. Maybe since SkyTunes, whatever the last Guy Tunes was.
1: <laughs> uh, that's been a number of years. <laughs> it, is, it has been quite a while. Guest number four, season four episode 41 excited to be here oh yeah
4: especially since i do have to do you know a, a trio of slasher movies you know I, I think that was part of the reason why i haven't been on yet because i've <laughs> just been so anxious about getting a trio of movies that i would just hate watch through
3: <laughs> i mean the the possibility of that happening was high
4: oh absolutely it was
1: <laughs> yeah i mean that's the thrill of doing this show mm-hmm. you never know what you're gonna get
4: Mm -hmm. I can say this the three movies we watched this episode, I was not queasy the entire time. (laughs)
1: Oh, excellent. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if there was really any throat slitting in these, but. um...
4: (laughs) Some dude got one straight in the neck. Like, I take it straight in the neck, it's across the neck. (laughs) If the
1: knife disappears into the meat, then you're fine. (laughs) If it rakes across the surface. Yeah. Uh... If I don't have
4: to think about my own mortality and, you know, death being inevitable, then it's fine. (laughs) Like, oh, that's just a fun neck thing.
0: (laughs) All right. (laughs) This episode needs a subtitle. (laughs) Fun neck
3: things.
1: (laughs) Well, Brian, welcome.
4: Well, I appreciate it. Thank you again for having me. I'm very excited to be
1: here. We're just glad to have some guests because uh, (laughs) we're running out of people willing to do this. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so the theme of this episode, which involved people getting stabbed straight into the neck, is uh, squad goals. Dax, why don't you tell the people uh, why we're calling this episode Squad Goals? Oh, sure thing, Mills.
3: First up, we've got 1967's The Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. Followed a year later in 68 with Where Eagles Dare. Yes, indeed. We finally rounded out 1970 with Kelly's Heroes.
1: Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. So we have three 60s, 70s men on a mission movies.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh The kind of films that would have influenced and did influence... Quentin Tarantino's Inglourious Bastards, for example. For sure. Mm-hmm,
4: that was obvious.
1: <laughs>
0: <Very>. <laughs>
1: Generally, films involving war that don't focus on the gigantic battles. You're not going to have your like uh, huge like tons of tanks rolling over hills and bombers flying in. It's small groups of men, as the term implies, on a mission. I had seen two of these before. Uh, The Dirty Dozen somehow had eluded me until now and uh, has been on my wall of shame for a while, so I was happy to finally scratch that one off, but I had seen the other two. Did either of you have uh, any experience with these particular movies and or this genre outside of Inglorious Bastards?
4: Uh well I was thinking as I was watching these movies that war movies is just a genre that I don't really ever touch on so this was actually really mm-hmm. fun to watch three movies that I wouldn't typically put on if I was just you know just like on the spot so that was that was really cool actually to get some more war movies under my belt and uh to answer your question no I hadn't seen either or any of these movies before
1: <laughs> I'm glad to hear that uh you got to scratch an itch that you don't normally mm-hmm. get to with this genre Mm-hmm. How about you, Dex? I've
3: seen zero point zero of these. Um, <laughs> I don't believe I knew Kelly's Heroes or We when Ear where Eagles Dare were either movies I'd ever heard of. <laughs> um, which tends to be sometimes with this show, especially like sixties, seventies movies is just not never like a time frame that I watched a lot of. Kind of ever, I'm more doing that more now than ever before in my life. So mm-hmm. I was just gonna say I was familiar with Dirty Dozen, but I don't think I knew like any of the
4: the broad parts of that at all. But yeah, as I was watching these, I thought these these could have been movies that I watched as a kid, but just they just weren't part of my parents' mm-hmm. rotation, I guess. Right.
3: I actually have a like a sidetrack kind of question, real quick, because. For listeners of the show, Brian and Milzy have been friends for many years. True. And then I became friends with both of you guys at the same time. So I don't know if it ever came up, Brian, but like real quick, like what's your kind of history with, I guess, movie watching in general? I know me and Milzy kind of always going back to when our we were kids were staying up too late watching things we weren't supposed to watch type of <laughs> monster movies and the like, but... I don't know yeah, if Brian like was standing up late trying it. to
1: watch VH1, and his mom wouldn't let him. <laughs>
4: <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> but um, my um, formative years of movie watching was definitely just uh, my dad would always just uh, record stuff on our VCR on the VHS VHS tapes. We had just you know shelves and shelves of Sharpie VHS uh, stickers of different movies I've nice. recorded off HBO or um, you know saturday afternoon movies or things like that so
1: mm-hmm. speaking my language we had you know yeah seriously
4: if you put the vh if you put the, the vhs tape on the slowest setting you could fit like three movies on one tape <laughs> so that was pretty much my entire childhood SLP, baby yeah. oh, so, so accurate. my entire move my entire uh childhood for movies was like ghostbusters one and 2. Oh, also beverly hills cop it was like a lot of like <laughs> <laughs> it was home alone home alone two uh, Uncle Buck, like, you know, like, you know, uh, similar but different. <laughs> kind of like this podcast. <laughs> right. So yeah, that was pretty nice. much it. Like, we, we were um, an Indiana Jones Star Wars family. That was, like, the what mm. I watched the most as a kid. Ditto. Um, yeah. I kind of discovered Back to the Future on my own, but, like, it was like, that was, like, the third movie on one of those, like, double features. I was like, oh, this actually is pretty mm-hmm. good. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs>
0: Oh, I was just, it was just, die. I was all
4: random to the just to the 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 shelf uh-huh. of you know quote unquote bootleg VHS I had in my house.
1: <laughs> Man, you're all about those triple threats. Yeah, we used to do the same kind of thing, uh, where you know I discovered at some point we didn't have cable, we would record some movies off TV that ended up having commercials in them. But we would go to the library and rent movies because, like, the brand new movies were a dollar to rent there and then the older movies were free to rent, like, uh, you know, taking out a book or whatever. And we would do the two VHS or two VCR setup and I would record <laughs> stuff and at some point discovered that SLP let you get three movies on a hmm. tape. I'm surprised we've never really made the connection before, Dex, between nope. – the fact that we do a show where we talk about three movies on an episode Mm -hmm. and that was definitely a prominent part of my youth with movies and uh, vhs tapes i mean we've been circling the wagons here about
3: uh, merchandise and i feel like now it just makes sense that we gotta you know tie that all together with some triple merchandise i don't know
1: (laughs) (laughs) steal that uh, i forget the artist's name but he makes t-shirts uh where he takes, like, a bunch of movies on VHS by the same director and stacks them up and then, like, puts a oh. picture of it on a T-shirt. Mm-hmm. We do that with just, like, uh, the three movies from our episodes, like, mm-hmm. handwritten on the sides of the VHS tapes. Oh, we oh, could just, like, do, like, VHS labels? Because I don't know about you guys, like, stuff got written
3: over quite a bit oh, in course. my house.
4: And you just put a piece of tape over that piece of that square that kept you from recording over it? <laughs> oh yeah
3: no because there was like three young boys in like single parent home so there was always like a chance like so- someone when they weren't looking was recording so- over someone else's thing you know
0: so.
1: i feel like there's no better time to relay this embarrassing story from my youth mm, but uh, yes <laughs> so yeah we would rent stuff from the library and it's like you know if you wanted to record it with the two VCR method, it took if it's a two hour movie, it takes two hours to record a copy, mm-hmm. and so I oftentimes like had never seen a movie before, but I would go ahead and record it as I watched it for the first time, just to you know cut out that second step of if I liked it, going ahead and recording it. Mm. I mm-hmm. think because I was always like, if I don't like it, I can just record over it, oh. and so I remember rented the Eddie Murphy movie Metro. You guys ever seen this? It's like a action movie post yeah. Beverly Hills Cop where he's a police officer. And so I remember like setting it up and I sit down and I push play and record. And so I'm watching the movie. I've never seen it before and it's recording at the same time. And so the way I remember it, I don't remember the movie super clearly cause it's been a long time since I've seen it, but you know, I'm a probably a teenage boy at the time. Uh, and at the very end of the movie, let's say it's two hours long, like five minutes from the end of the movie, there's a topless scene with a woman. And I remember watching it and being like a teenage boy was like, oh, I want to see that again and rewinding it and oh. watching that scene again. And then once I did it, I realized, oh, shit, I just recorded myself rewinding. And <laughs> so now the recorded version I have has the nude scene twice. <laughs> so I had to fucking after I finished watching it, I rewound both tapes and started the recording all over again so that it wouldn't <laughs> nice. have that on it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Not my finest moment, but <laughs> I can see the humor in it now. Well, apparently. not
4: much has changed today.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. so back to the point. Um, my dad has always been a big fan of the movie Kelly's Heroes. Uh, so that's oh. the one I, of these I've seen the most. And that was the one that I had seen first. And uh, I know that the first time I watched it, I didn't really like it all that much. And I think the reason is because... I expected it being like a war movie and like looking at the front of the packaging with like a bunch of soldiers in uniform that it was going to be more of an action film. And I mean, there is action in the movie, but it's more of like uh, it's got a lighthearted tone. Mm -hmm. You know, we'll talk about it when we get there. But I I do remember not loving that one the first time I saw it, but I came around on it more as the years went by. And uh, so, yeah, this was my second time watching Where Eagles Dare. And like I say, my first time watching The Dirty Dozen, which I've been meaning to get around to forever. But Mm -hmm. Mm So yeah, uh, I was looking forward to this one. I came up with this trio. and uh, There's other movies similar to these that I've seen that I'm a fan of as well, such as uh, Force 10 from Navarone mm-hmm. and uh, Ice Station Zebra yep. are also yes. Men on a Mission movies. And they are actually both written by the same guy who wrote uh, Where Eagles Dare, mm. Alistair Maclean. Um He's a novelist, first and foremost. He did write the script for Where Eagles Dare, but uh, he also wrote the novel and those two novels that also got adapted into films. But So if you enjoyed these movies, Brian, you know maybe check those other two out, because I can recommend both of those as well as being quite good.
4: Okay. Well, I know my uh, father-in-law is really elated, but I can tell him that I watched these three movies back to back to back. So <laughs> I got that going <laughs> nice. for me, at least. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. That's cool. <laughs> so, Millsy, we're
3: helping everybody out with this show of
1: ours. Yeah. It's my favorite thing in the world to do, is to spread the love of movies. <laughs> So uh, you guys want to go ahead and get into our first That's film? Nice. Here? Yeah, let's do it. Let's dig in. All right. First up, we have The Dirty Dozen from 1967.
5: I think you know very well I was never in favor of you leading this operation. So I can't say that I'm disappointed in your performance. Because the impression you made on me was distinctly unfavorable in the first place. Colonel Breed's report on your unit's level of achievement and general behavior at the Parachute Training School is entirely negative would in itself justify my recommendation that this entire operation be cancelled. Your men will be sent back for execution of sentence. Whether or not disciplinary action should be taken against you personally is a matter for General Warden here. I take it you don't deny your responsibility for the fact that on the night of April 1415, a military establishment of the United States Army was the scene of a drunken party at which no less than seven female civilians took an active part. Oh, yes, sir. They took an active part, all right. Excuse me, gentlemen. Are you in a position to offer even the remotest mitigating circumstances? Yes, sir. Oh, Sergeant. More ice. Yes, sir. Well? You offered those men a chance to get off the hook and they worked damn hard at it. Now that they're just shaping up, you're going to say sorry, fellas. The deal's off, huh? Why? Well, you've only yourself to blame for that. You're the one responsible for those women being in camp. All right, so I broke an army regulation, what are you going to do, kill five men and send the rest to prison for life? Because if you did that, you'd have to lock up half the United States, army officers included. Anyway, you just said it yourself, it was my fault, not theirs. And it's not going to affect their ability as soldiers. Yes, well, we've heard about their ability as soldiers from Colonel Breed. That's his opinion. Look, my men have crammed six months of intensive training into as many weeks. And as of this moment, I stack them up against any men in the army. You can't be serious. You're damn right I'm serious. Look, they might not be pretty, but any one of mine is worth ten of yours. Milsey.
1: Yes.
3: During World War II, a rebellious U.S. Army major is assigned a dozen convicted murderers to train and lead them into a mass assassination
1: mission of German officers. I feel like the premise of this movie, of, like, taking a group of guys on, like, death row or in prison and offering them a chance to like, have their sentences pardoned or whatever if they go on this, like, crazy, dangerous mission. I mm-hmm. feel like that is a premise. It's almost like, you know how people will watch a movie and say, like, oh, that's Die Hard, but on an airplane, or that's Die Hard, but in, a like, a boat or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like The Dirty Dozen also has a premise like that, where, you know, something like the comic book slash movie Suicide Squad is, like, basically the oh, same premise. and absolutely. The original inglorious bastards the italian film that quentin tarantino named his film after is also pretty much like an unofficial remake of this movie from what i understand but um yeah just a a premise that i'd always heard and i definitely had an idea in my head of what this movie was going to be before watching it and i will say that it did not turn out to be quite what i was expecting go on i agree well especially If you look at the poster for this movie, it sells it as, like, this is going to be an action-packed extravaganza. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then a good 85% of this movie is just 12 goons training (laughs) 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 and, like, learning how to kind of be real soldiers instead of just, like, goofballs and jerkwads. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, at the end, you do have, like, your climactic action, like secret mission infiltration and that stuff's all well and good. But yeah, I was surprised that like I'm halfway through the movie and I'm like, when is the action going to start? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I always had it in my head, I guess because of the title and the poster and just little things I'd heard. I thought it was going to be a much more serious movie. Yeah, It's kind of jokey because of the kinds of guys that they're trying to whip into shape. And uh yeah, it's definitely not like an action packed wall to wall. Mm-hmm. action extravaganza
4: yeah i'm right there with you i i like well this is the first movie i watched uh for this um episode and i was like is this what war movies are like <laughs> i was like this is not what i remember war movies being like i mean there's a surprising mm-hmm. amount of humor in this movie especially uh during those early scenes when they're like building the barracks and like painting on each other's hands
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: like palling around
1: yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Definitely not what I was expecting. And I guess it kind of makes sense when you consider, well, I don't know. Like, I guess they all were in military service when they, you know, were arrested for whatever, for rape or murder.
4: That's what I assume.
1: Disobeying orders or whatever. But yeah, the majority of them, with the exception of maybe like Charles Bronson and Jim Brown, the majority of them seem like they've never even been through basic training and don't know what the hell they're doing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, they have to, it's not like, okay, we're going to take these guys who fucked up or have bad attitudes and then turn them into a squad. It's like, we're going to take these guys who seem like they've never touched a gun before and train them how to work as a squad or something. Definitely. Again, not what I was expecting for me. Well,
3: this was the last one I watched and the, the very first thought I had was God damn, this one's two and a half hours long too?
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's definitely a trend you can follow yeah. with a lot of these older like war movies and uh-huh. epics.
3: Yeah, but then from there I was like, as soon as you get the, because I didn't know the, you know, the angle about them being arrested or the military police or any of that, so as soon as they established that and I was like, damn, I was like, this is where Suicide Squad comes from, and I was like, oh, of course, like Inglorious Bastards, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is all going to ramp up. And then, I mean, even up to like when they have their quote unquote graduation party, that the, (laughs) the major has the ladies come to. And then even after that, where there's, they go to the war games. And I was like, this is two hours into this movie. I was like, what is going yes, on? That
4: was my thought as well. When the war game started, I was like, first of all, I don't know what this movie is. It was nothing what I thought it was gonna be. It's yeah. like it turned the war game scene is like a college movie where the frat takes down the crusty old totally. Dean. Yeah.
1: A hundred percent. That is exactly
3: what it felt and like. I started to think like I was feeling like, is this mo was this movie like a novel? And they were like just cutting it down to two and a half hours but keeping every scene in it i was like there's so many scenes and so many sepi- i mean there's paratrooping uh training and that whole thing with that like other general mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like the tone of it was all over the place i was like i was like are they still gonna make it to germany i was like what, what is going on in this movie? <laughs> yeah the, the
4: the movie is broken up into like three different movies where like the first third is rocky Four training montage the, the second, third, the second third is the uh, taking down the crusty old dean, and then the third scene is this crazy tense heist. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it finally feels like what you expect at the end, but it's like so brief compared to the length oh, of the movie. Total. overall.
4: Mm-hmm. I mean, the end scene is, I think, a good forty-five, like a solid forty-five minutes. But once you've already gone through with two other movies, you're just like, whew, yeah. boy, how long is this going to go?" <laughs> well,
0: that,
1: it takes an hour forty-five for that to start. <laughs> you're like, "Good
0: lord, what is going
1: on?" <laughs> yeah, that is that is my predominant feeling having watched this movie. Is it's just. All these years I had built it up in my head as this one thing, and it is totally not that. And, um, you know, I I still enjoyed it overall, and I find that it's, it's like a weird give and take where there are a lot of movies these days, especially big blockbusters, that feel like they're longer than they need to be. But, I mean, I do feel like it's a, a trend of movies from this era, war films and stuff, that they are pretty long in that, like, two-and-a-half-hour range. Mm-hmm. But at the same time... I feel like rather than just being like jam packed with exposition like a lot of modern day movies are, these films tend to have a more deliberate pace and a lot more character development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get to know everybody in this movie super well. They, you know, pick out a couple of characters who get a little more screen time and you get to know a little more about them. But I would say that with all three of these movies, but definitely this one with like the oddball characters, that at some point I just like, sat back and enjoyed watching, you know, these interesting characters that I began to like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's like, yes, I am, I'm aware that it's long, but, uh, it's not like I felt its length. Like I was like, geez, when is this going to be over? I would question like they, they're doing war games now. Like when does the action, <laughs> yeah, <right>. begin but, <laughs> but not in a negative way where I'm like, Oh geez,
3: this now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But it was just like, how does this work when they have so many different things going mm-hmm. on? Mm hmm.
4: Yeah, when we were so far into the movie and we're just doing this playful war games thing, I'm like, I know this is not how this movie is. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be some kind of mission or suicide esque mission they're going on.
1: Imagine that if they like they won the war games and it's just like freeze frame credits, (laughs) right? The action at the end, though, uh, it's not like the most mind blowing action I've ever seen, but it. Where where these kind of movies, like, I think we'll talk about it a little bit with, like, Where Eagles Dare, where the action isn't necessarily as impressive as uh, something you'd see nowadays with, like, crazy CQC and, like, perfectly choreographed stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The end of this movie does a really good job of just, like, you know, step by step seeing yes. how things transpire and building the tension and you know, you've got an idea of, okay, we've got this certain number of people and they've each got their job to do and you can, like, feel the stress ramping up as, like, one or two guys get picked off. And mm. uh,
4: I love the build-up to the mission with the one, we've just begun, two, the guards are through, yeah. three, the Majors, men are on a spree. Like, and then, mm-hmm. like, it was a, a fun thing for them to do, like, during dinner, then they got, like, very serious and then that transitions into that heist and then you see the the tactics play out. That was I thought that was a really cool way to set that up, and then that I thought that whole uh, set piece was just super tense and really worked really well.
1: Yeah, I love their plan as well when uh, like the alarm is sounded or whatever and all of the Germans go down in their bunker. Mm. And then they're like, oh, well let's just lock them in there and pour a bunch of gasoline down the air vents and then blow the shit out of them when, with grenades. When they
4: started dumping the grenades down those air vents, that was my biggest oh shit moment from that movie. I was just like, oh my god, that is crazy. <laughs> it's like That's the most brutal thing, especially in this movie that we've watched <laughs> that they did.
3: Right. It's nice because these movies are old and and it's across the three of them. Man, Do they blow up a lot of shit mm-hmm. in these three movies. Oh, I'm Maybe. sure we'll talk
4: much more about that <laughs> <coming> yeah, <up. laughs>
3: But, I mean, there's explosions. I mean, it's for sure the Triple Threat Theater episode with the highest body count. I mean, far
1: and away. It's got to be. A <laughs> lot of Nazis get killed in this, I mean, in just, this episode.
3: <laughs> this is wild. Uh,
1: I mean, I love, I love that stuff as well. Uh, just real explosions and like all of the actual vehicles which in mm. a lot of their cases i think were just leftover vehicles from world war ii that they were mm-hmm. using had to have been
3: yeah because like that half track thing that yeah. they're driving mm-hmm. away in at the end you know and like they, it's funny because at one point they like take a chunk out of the bridge and you could see like all the wood structure <laughs> underneath this like quote-unquote uh. <laughs> stone bridge and then like the truck like the hood was falling <laughs> off as it was driving like.
1: Yeah, I read yeah. that uh, like, like, like when they surplus. built, I guess that building that they attack at the end, uh, at least the exterior of it was something that they built to partially destroy, and apparently mm-hmm. they built mm-hmm. it too well, and so they actually had to recreate part of it with... Um, with like foam and stuff so that they'd actually be able to destroy it. Because uh, I guess the guy oh. in charge of the, ex- the explosives was like, if you actually want to blow up this thing you built, it's going to take like 70 pounds of explosives <laughs> to do it. And that's like way too dangerous to use on a film set. <laughs> I thought was pretty funny. Yes. Yeah.
4: One thing I wanted to mention uh, the bathroom scene where the, uh, you know, the, the crusty old team character sends in his goons to beat up <laughs> Charles Bronson. Yeah. and then Jim Brown comes in to rescue him when he, when Jim Brown delivers that uh, helmet to the gut and then helmet uppercut oh my god oh, goes, I audibly good. was like yes that was oh. the best
3: thing I've ever seen yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. I did like a oh
3: <laughs>
1: yeah that was good I liked that too
3: I was very excited to see Charles Bronson in this yeah. just cause it's Charles he's o. one of the
4: best characters too I thought
3: I actually liked Lee Marvin a lot too which I know is a name I should know more I don't know if he's, like, super popular from this or what, but...
1: This is, like, the movie that made him a big star, uh, from what I understand. Because when I was reading uh, trivia about um, Where Eagles Dare, they offered the Clint Eastwood role in that movie to Lee Marvin, but he declined saying, telling the producers that they were about four years too late because he had already made a World War II action movie in the Dirty Dozen, and he hated it, despite the fact that it made him a huge (laughs) star. So he didn't want to do another... (laughs) Wow. Well,
4: it's interesting is they've made four uh, four sequels to this movie, all directed
1: to uh, Three sequels huh. and a television series spinoff. Oh, excuse
4: me.
0: <laughs>
1: but um, did you... I think it's kind of interesting. So this movie came out in 1967, and then the directed vi- the directed tv sequels didn't start until 1985. Yeah. Uh, Lee Marvin actually came back for that first one, and he looks significantly older <laughs> at that mm. point. Ernest Borgnine came back for all three of the uh made for TV movies. Did you read who else was in some of these, Brian? Yeah, Telly
4: Savalas goes back as an entirely different character.
1: As an entirely <laughs> different character in the third and the fourth one. But uh so the first the second one, the first made for TV movie was called The Next Mission from 1985. Also co-stars Sonny Landom from Predator. Hmm.
0: Oh. And
1: Rico Ross who was Frost in <laughs> Aliens yeah telly savalas comes back or for the second one is a different character and bo svensson who's a character actor from the time he was in laser mission that you and i watched a long time ago dax yeah and then the fourth one is called the fatal mission from 1988 telly savalas returns again and that one also has eric estrada and ernie hudson from ghostbusters wow yeah it's funny like I had never seen Dirty Dozen, like I say, but uh, I picked it up on Blu-ray because I saw it, I was like in a gas station and they had like a little box (laughs) of Blu-rays and they had a $5 copy of Dirty Dozen. And I was like, yeah, fuck it. I wanted to see this movie forever. So I picked it up. This was like, I don't know, maybe a year ago. And uh, as a special feature on the Blu-ray, they include the first made for TV movie. So I definitely want to check that out now too. Mm. Nice. And then there was a short-lived TV series that only lasted for like 11 episodes and John Slattery from Mad Men was one of the main characters on it. Wow.
4: Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So Expendables. <laughs> Everybody got a piece of the uh, <laughs> the dirty dozen pie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I thought it was interesting that I think seven different members of the cast were actual World War II veterans.
0: Oh, oh really? Uh,
1: Lee Marvin, Robert Weber, Robert Ryan, Telly Savalas, George Kennedy, Charles Bronson, Ernest Borgnine, and Clint Walker were all actually in World War II. Hmm. That's cool. And uh, John Wayne was the first choice to play the Lee Marvin character. But I guess in the original script, there was some adultery with his character, and he had a problem with that, so he passed on the movie.
4: Okay. Different time. And, busy uh, being Genghis Khan. Milford. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I right. guess so. I wasn't going to bring that up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a character that like raped and pillaged. <laughs> uh, and Jack Palance was the first choice to play Maggot but uh mm-hmm. he didn't want to have to deliver the racist dialogue that they refused to remove so Telly Savalas got the role instead mm. yeah he took quite the turn at the end huh yeah he's that's an interesting character maggot like he's the only one who seemed to have any like real outstanding mental issues where maybe Lee Marvin should have been like, okay, I know they want me to have 12 guys, but it might not be smart to bring this dude. along." Yeah. He
4: was throwing a mm-hmm. lot of red flags.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like when he's such a problem that he couldn't even be a part of their graduation party because there were going to be women present. Like maybe don't take him out <laughs> in the field. <laughs> like they had to leave him in the guard tower. Otherwise he would have done some heinous shit. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. Cause the, then they led him on the mission and he did do some heinous shit. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Which, which makes me wonder like how do you break him back as a different character in two subsequent movies <laughs>
1: i know of all the people of all the
4: people he's the one that turns his back <laughs> <in the group. laughs>
1: yeah i don't know man a uh,
3: different time i guess <laughs> in the climax it was funny because like once people start getting offed it was i did remember i was like oh yeah that was one of the 12 guys like there's a couple there's like probably two or three guys that you know you don't even know their name, but they're part of the dozen
1: that mm-hmm. you know show back up at the end to die. Yeah, which is to be expected. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the only ones that make it out, if I'm not mistaken, are Lee Marvin, the uh, was it the sergeant that was with them, like the other yeah. guy that wasn't one of the prisoners, the, the MP, and, no, yeah, the main MP guy, and uh, Charles Bronson are the only ones that make it. That is true. I thought for sure, like at the beginning of the movie, you had the character uh, that John Cassavetes plays, Victor Franco, and he's the one that's like causing the problems when they all first meet, and he he seems to be like the anarchist of the group, right? Mm -hmm. And all throughout, like he's the one that's trying to escape, and he's the one who's arguing about everything. I thought for sure that he was going to end up being like one of the few that survived at the end. So it would be like you know he was the one who was against it the whole time, but then he made it. But nope, uh, he and almost everybody else dies a swift death mm-hmm. in that climactic action scene. It was pretty, pretty sad when Jim Brown bites it because yeah. he like almost he made almost it. made it. That was yeah. the one I was rooting for the most because especially when he almost makes it, but
3: yeah, you know. Multiple times in this movie, they'll show you, like, a sneaky Nazi coming into the screen, and you're like, oh,
4: someone's about to die. <laughs> or that one guy playing yeah. possum for, like, 20 minutes outside that door. is like, oh, goddammit, he's gonna get somebody! I hate yeah. this!
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, that was pretty funny, because they kept <laughs> on cutting to him, and then every time it was a wide shot, he was just laying there not moving.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, suddenly, some, like, Nazi commander's coming over some hill, and you're like, oh, here we go. Who's or next? Just, like, how and when that that Nazi ended up up in the bell tower to, like, snipe Christ. at them. I don't uh-huh. know when he
3: got up there. Nope. Blew some uh, Nazis out of a couple windows a couple times, you know?
1: Yeah, that always is the best, where they just shoot at a window, and you can't even see anybody in the window because it's dark. And then just somebody <laughs> comes careening out of the window. <laughs> yeah. Like, they got kicked from behind out the window but I mean I don't know. S- silly stuff like that you notice all over these movies but it's like that's an actual stunt man. I can, mm-hmm. I can <laughs> yeah. I can let that fly. Yeah, you know? for sure. Two other interesting little tidbits I read about this movie. Uh so Jim Brown obviously I didn't know this because I don't know anything about sports but uh he <laughs> was actually in the NFL and apparently a very good player. He was. That's uh true. he played for the Cleveland Browns and Apparently, filming on this movie ran super long because of uh, rain delays. And so it was getting close to the point where it seemed like he might miss training camp for the 1965-66 season. And so the owner of the Cleveland Browns gave him an ultimatum. You either choose football or acting. And then during the filming of this movie, he announced his uh, retirement from football. (laughs) Oh, no way. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently, like, I read a little bit about him. He was apparently, like, you know, had broken a bunch of records for, like, running yards or something, and he was already, like, one of the top guys in the game, and he was 29 at the time, so he just decided, like, I have nothing to prove anymore. I'll just Mm -hmm. be an actor now. That's what you get, sports team owner guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And uh, the other thing I thought was kind of cool is, uh, have either of you seen the movie Small Soldiers?
4: Uh, Yes. Yeah.
1: Directed by Joe Dante. At the time when Joe Dante made that movie in the 90s, uh, there's like, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but there's like two warring factions of toys. One of these like kind of animal characters and the other ones are soldiers. Uh, Joe Dante cast all of the surviving cast members of this movie as the voices of the soldiers in the film. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. So George Kennedy, Jim Brown, Ernest Borgnine, and Clint Walker all do voices. And I don't know exactly how to pronounce his last name but richard jackal jakel uh he Mm -hmm. was supposed to be one of them and he died right before filming so they replaced him with tommy lee jones Mm. Mm. but i thought that was really cool yeah Yeah, that's cool Mm. like no one would
3: like only those people if you know you know kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah for
1: sure yeah and uh yeah like joe dante is exactly the kind of guy who would be you know nostalgic and knowledgeable about films mm-hmm. enough to pull something like that off yeah no that's cool so anything else on this one before we move on mm-hmm. i feel like we've covered it no
4: but i enjoyed it i'll say that mm-hmm. <laughs> i didn't i didn't know if i was going to but i definitely did in the end <laughs>
1: <laughs> as soon as they won one over on the crusty old dean at the war games that's were... <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> two hours into the film yeah <laughs> <I can't> really <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, next up from 1968, we have Where Eagles Dare.
2: Our man was brought down at 2 a.m. this morning. Chafe, in their all-knowing wisdom, didn't let us know till 10 a.m. Damned idiots. Damned idiots for not letting us know. Double damned idiots for ignoring our advice in the first place. Anyway, here he is. In a town called Werfen, at the Schloss Adler, the Castle of the Eagles believe me, it's well named, because only an eagle can get to it. Our job is to get inside there and get him out as soon as possible before they have a chance to get the information from him. How are you so sure that he's there, sir? The Mosquito he was in crash-landed only ten miles away. The Schloss Adler is the headquarters of the German Secret Service in southern Bavaria. Where else would they take him? How did the plane crash, sir? Through the most damnable ill-luck. We carried out a saturation raid on Nuremberg last night. There shouldn't have been a German fighter within 100 miles of the Austrian border. A wandering Messerschmitt patrol got him. Anyway, that's not important. What is important is that we get him out before he talks. Or I should say, you get him out. What about paratroops, The Schloss Adler is inaccessible and impregnable. It would require a battalion of paratroops to take it. We haven't got the time. Stealth and secrecy are our only hope. And you gentlemen are, I trust, stealthy and secretive. We realize, of course, that you've never worked together before as a team. But you are familiar with one another. Except for Lieutenant Schaefer here. You probably noticed that Lieutenant Schaefer wears the shoulder flashes of the American Ranger Division. I think that speaks for itself. Major Smith will lead the group in. Now, you're all expert at survival behind enemy lines. Smith, Lieutenant Schaefer, Sergeants Harrod and McPherson in their military capacities, uh, the rest of you in other duties. You all speak fluent German. You've been trained in different types of combat. If anybody has a chance of getting him out, you have. Millsy. Yes.
3: Allied agents stage a daring raid on a castle. Where the Nazis are holding American Brigadier General George Carnaby prisoner, but that's not all that's really going on.
1: Ain't that the <laughs> truth? This movie has some twists and turns in it. Uh, the thing I love about this one is, from frame one, you're in it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. definitely. Like this movie begins with the squad on the plane on their way to like the castle in the Alps, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the uh, the whole movie is going to take place. There's one or two flashbacks to scenes that set everything up. But, yeah, this one, like, you are on the mission from frame one, which is something I like about this one. Yeah. Ditto. So, yeah, essentially they have to go to, I mean, uh, it would be nearly impossible to fully describe the plot of this movie because Mm -hmm. there are so many, like, crazy twists and turns. But as far as you know when the movie begins, like you said, they have to rescue someone, and they have them in this, like, Castle up in the like picturesque mountains, mm-hmm. and so the entire film. This is like one of those movies where the entire thing takes place in the snow, and in contrast, again to the Dirty Dozen and Kelly's Heroes, as we'll talk about in a little while. Not very much humor in this movie. This one's pretty serious the entire time. Mm-hmm. Lot of people die in this movie. <laughs> like, oh yeah, I read that this was uh, Clint Eastwood's biggest on-screen death count in a film mm. or kill count. <laughs> Because, I mean, that hallway scene alone oh, at the yeah. end, he just, like, there's 30 Nazis shooting at him, none of them can hit him, and he just, like, murders everybody with a little machine gun in that hallway. All of my notes from this movie are from that hallway <laughs> Guns. Gun shooter. Oh, yeah?
3: Well, just because at one point, these are my notes. <laughs> Clint dual weld machine guns, <laughs> which he does at one point. Mm-hmm. Thousands of rounds of ammo, hallway fight, which is
0: 100%
3: accurate. And then my favorite one Nazis fighting a hallway fire with a mop.
4: (laughs) It just now dawned on me that that's what they
3: were doing. It's like in the background for a couple shots. I was like,
0: where are these Nazis? Yeah, they're sneaking by and they're trying to figure out
4: how to put out a fire with a mop. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's okay, the coast is clear (laughs) Uh,
1: You gotta work with what you got, man Oh
3: man, oh great
1: So yeah, the plot is complicated enough that uh, Last time I watched this was 2014 So it's been about, what, six years? And the plot is complicated enough that I remembered the basics, like I remembered a lot of visuals and things And sequences I didn't really remember a whole lot about it, but, like, my overwhelming memory of this movie was that the first time I watched it, I was, like, blown away by how much I liked it. Mm-hmm. Just, like... I mean, if the last... If Dirty Dozen, you said Brian, had, like, 45 minutes of action at the end, I mean, by the time the climax of this movie begins, it feels like you have over an hour left, oh, yeah. and it yeah, just absolutely. keeps going. It's, like, battles and escape scenes, and there's chases, and there's fights on top of, like... uh you know the what are those gondola or what do you call yeah like giant to... ski lift like carriage yeah. things and there's like car chases and blowing up uh, yeah. bridges and then there's like getaways on an airplane and yeah. oh my god it crazy, is just crazy bus chase with a, a uh, snowplow <laughs> <on it. laughs> yeah the indestructible school bus <laughs> like I just love how they're unloading machine guns on cars chasing them and they just burst into flames mm. and topple over yeah. and <laughs> They like that bus gets riddled with machine gun fire and it's like pretty much okay. I mean like halfway through where it's like they're in that one they're they're in that one big
3: room at the giant table and like Mm -hmm. all like the the parts that you don't really know are going on start to come ahead and you're just in like the stories are changing and all these people are coming to the room and like all this trickery is afoot. And then at that point I was really like I was like where's this movie going? And then, sure enough, it's like, like you said, it's an hour straight of action after that. with yeah, lots following
1: that scene is the climax, which is, like, almost the second half of the movie. With tons and tons of dynamite. Yeah. So much It's So much dynamite. <laughs> it reminds me just of the feeling that you get watching, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where that mm-hmm. movie, it's like, you know, truck chases and fights under a spinning airplane and just, like, constant adventure. Like, that's what this yeah. movie is like. Dirty Dozen had action, but it was also, like, a comedy, and you can relate it to mm-hmm. a bunch of different kind of films. This was just a, like, there's mystery to it, but it is just a suspense thriller the whole time. Yeah. And I totally dig that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, reminded me
4: me of, it reminded me of, like, a grittier 60s James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: that makes sense.
4: Just, uh, you yeah. know, it's also shot on MGM Studios, and I, I'm pretty sure that the interrogation room is the same room they used for the... Uh, scene in Spectre when Spectre meets. I'm pretty sure it's the same
0: exact room. <laughs> oh.
1: There's, I have to go um, back and double check that.
3: I was just, like, enjoying so much of, like, those, like, funny little, like, dynamite rigs they had yeah. that had, like, the different timers, and then they had, like, the the pull string, like, set it, like, things to set them. Yeah. And it made me think, Milzy, you might remember back to when we watched... Um, the towering inferno. Mm-hmm. Remember, like there was lots of like explosives in that. Yeah, and it seems from like this like era of movies that they would like show you like the minutia of when people are doing these little tasks. Mm-hmm. You know, like when they're setting up the bombs. And, like in this movie, there's like multiple shots where like they're they're kind of like fumbling, like hooking up these bombs and like tying <laughs> them to rafters and stuff, and like you know they like really doing it in real time. Where, like, yeah movies nowadays they would just like stick it to a wall and press a button and that's it. but
1: like that yeah, back then that's definitely something you miss in like like the Marvel movies, for example, as much mm-hmm. as I love them when you get to like uh rocket raccoon and all of his like crazy bombs that he's making and everything it's just like you see something that the characters reference as being an explosive and then it just right. it gets thrown and something crazy happens and you move on with your day oh yeah but yeah, there's something to this kind of movie with again a A a pace to it That's very deliberate And uh, what's that quote from Alfred Hitchcock about like If there's a bomb hidden under a table It's not about the explosion It's about the anticipation of the explosion And Mm. so yeah all those scenes Like, I remember like towards the beginning Of the movie I guess it's closer to the middle When um, Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood are on their way To the castle and they stop And they're attaching bombs to like Those poles on the sides of the road. I had forgotten the point of that. And I'm like, are they setting these up so if somebody drives by, they'll like clip the thing and set the bomb off? And then I completely forgot about it. And then, like, an hour and a half later, it pays off. And I'm like, it's so cool that they showed the setup of this. Like, they could have not shown it. And then Mm -hmm. at the end, they could have just said, like, uh, are we coming up on the poles? And they could have cut to bombs, and you would get the idea that, oh, they set those up earlier. Oh, totally. They actually go to the lengths of showing you this stuff, yeah. and I mm-hmm. I love that stuff so Absolutely. much. Absolutely,
4: it makes it so much more effective. Oh, mm-hmm. there's
1: like, there's like you can actually tell like Clint Eastwood
3: is actually like trying to strap this bomb to a rafter. Yeah. It's not just you know <laughs> like held in place with sticky tape or anything. It's like so funny of oh, a thing that doesn't happen anymore
1: at all. Yeah. Something else I liked about this one is uh, uh you know in um, uh, Boondock Saints the scene where they, they have like all those guns at their disposal and they're all picking up different guns and stuff. And one of them picks up rope and the other one's like, what the hell are you going to use rope for? And he's like, I don't know. Mm. We might need it. And it ends up paying off in kind of a kind of lame way in the movie. (laughs) Uh, I love the fact that they have one length of rope in this movie and they carry it with them everywhere. And you see them use it like six times. (laughs) Like that scene with the crazy gunfire in the hallway that we talked about, Um, I love the way that they trick the Nazis by sending one of their prisoners out the window down the rope so that they think it's them and and they (laughs) shoot him. And then the Nazis leave because they think they've gotten the guy. But then as they're like making their escape, Richard Burton tells Clint Eastwood, like, Hey, grab that rope. And he grabs the rope and they bring it with them. And sure enough, they end up using it like three more times. Yeah. I just, that's, I, again, something else that I feel like a modern movie, if somebody mm-hmm. was running around in this castle and they needed rope, they would pass by a pile of rope and pick it up. Oh, but yeah. They started this movie with, like, those three silver canisters that they send down on a parachute full of shit, and they've mm-hmm. got, like, the radio box, and they've got, like, just tons of dynamite and like all the guns and the ammo. And it feels like they actually had all that stuff. Like it feels like it was somebody's job on set to make sure that at all times they realistically had as much kit Mm -hmm. as they would need for the rest of the film. I don't know. I dig that too. It seems that way. Mm -hmm. There's even that bit where
3: later on when they're trying to catch the, I don't know what are we even calling the uh, ski lift things, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're outside, like on the roof and the one guy's like, all right, uh, you hop in and then send it back out so that we can get on it and come in. You know, it's mm-hmm. like because they like actually had to do that to get them off the roof or something. But again, it's like these little things you never see in modern movies anymore.
1: It's like all the little steps to everything. Yeah, And, and I, mean, I don't hate it. I like it. Yeah, it's there's just, different kind of movies. See. Like, I don't know if I would necessarily want all that detail in like a John Wick film where I'm just Oh, here for that. sure. Watch some guy just mow through a bunch of people, but a film like this, uh, where it's like an action adventure kind of, you know, mission based movie, something like a James Bond or or whatever. Like I I think that stuff really adds something, and it you know it maybe lengthens mm-hmm. the film a little bit, which you know movies are long already. Like I could use a little more of this, like pacing and setup. Instead yeah. of just more, you know, snarky dialogue.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah,
1: especially, and then if it leads
3: to like an hour long action scene, you know, it's like, that's plenty of payoff for me. Yeah,
4: mm-hmm. I, I don't mind waiting to for you to set it up so I can enjoy you knocking it down, essentially. like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes.
1: It takes a long time to set up the, the intricate domino display, but then it's all worth that's it. That's right. When you knock oh, over that man. first domino. <laughs>
3: yeah. And you run through it with a school bus with a plow on the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well
4: to speak to your point from earlier, Ryan, I did not expect um to be to say so many times, why did that blow up <laughs> in this movie? <laughs> like as, as serious as it was, that a lot of things blew up for no reason in this movie too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, like that final car that's chasing them on the runway. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has jumped in the plane, but Richard Burton's still standing by their snowplow shooting. I kept waiting for him to like take out the driver and then the car to crash or something, but it's just like it cuts to Richard Burton and he's shooting, and then it cuts to the car and it's getting closer, and it cuts to Richard Burton and he's shooting, and it cuts to the car and it's getting closer, and then this time after it cuts to Richard Burton shooting, (laughs) it cuts back and the car just bursts into flames. It's like, I don't think that machine gun fire will do that to a military Jeep, but... Even uh, in 68, they knew this is what you do to bring the excitement same thing when uh the they you know the airfield has like four airplanes sitting there and if they're going to take off in a plane they want to take those other ones out cuz they know that they'll be chased if they don't <laughs> and so yeah. richard burton just runs those four stationary planes down with the uh the snowplow and so like you see an actual bus with a snowplow on it ram into the back of four airplanes uh and then they blow up for no good reason <laughs> yeah. cuz <'Cause> he like <laughs> He hits the back fins of the planes. And again, I was expecting realistically for him to like smash the back of the airplane so that like it couldn't fly. But no, they just kind of spin a little bit on their wheels. And then three seconds later, they burst into flames. Yep. But I don't don't know. Again, it's shit that I forgive because like they actually fucking blew up that airplane. Right.
3: And just at that point, it's like, might as well just blow everything up.
1: Which they definitely do. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did you guys think of the super complicated twist and turn and, like, he's a good guy, he's a bad guy, he's a good guy, he's a bad guy plot of this movie. It was, in fact, super
3: complicated, and I feel like I must have missed a thing or two in there somewhere, but, you know.
4: I was confused while it was happening. I feel like I got it once it was over, although I didn't exactly understand why those English guys were guilty. Like the two... Yeah, the two. Oh, the the, yeah, guys. the two that that uh, they have the fight with on top of the um, cable car. I, I, I mean, I, I, just assumed like, okay, they were just British traders. I didn't really get the connection of why they were traders.
1: Um. Now, see, maybe I'm even confused here. But so the three guys that they tied up and took with them, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are not supposed to be the other three who landed with them, correct?
3: Oh, I thought it was. I thought it was too.
1: Yeah I wasn't sure like I I definitely didn't get that impression during that end scene because earlier in the movie when, um, when they give themselves up when they're in the bar and the Nazis come in and they're looking for like a group of people Richard Burton knows that he and Clint Eastwood will be taken away with like the, the lead Nazi because they're wearing like the officer's uniforms.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, And as they're about to be taken, he looks at the other three and he says like, good luck. I'll like see you, on the see other side. you after mm-hmm. the see war or whatever.
3: Or yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah.
1: So I got the impression that he knew that they were going to be captured, but like by the end of the movie, he says that the only one he trusted was Clint Eastwood anyway. So he didn't really mind. Uh, Then when they break into when Richard Burton and Clinice would break into that, like big dining hall or whatever, and they have that long scene where everything's getting laid out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't visually familiar with the three guys from earlier in the movie to know if it was them, but. I mean, I didn't get the impression because Clint Eastwood, like Richard Burton seemed to know everything that was going on. Clint Eastwood didn't. But I don't remember Clint Eastwood walking into the room and having a surprise look like, hey, it's those three guys that we brought with us. Mm -hmm. I thought it was three different dudes, but I may be wrong. But I watched it thinking it
3: was them. I mean, the movie starting out, I was like, oh, there's a lot of cannon fodder here. So I wasn't almost like registering who these people were. Until that scene where they were all dressed up and got captured, I just assumed those three guys that they took away were the same three guys.
4: Mm. Right, and then if it wasn't those guys, who killed the two members of the team before that?
1: Um, well, it was the other three, but I don't know if that was supposed to be them in the like the, the dining room scene, okay. like the dining hall. Because yeah, at the very sure end, when was. they're on the airplane and it's revealed that one of the dudes who sent them on the mission was uh, mm-hmm. was one of the villains... Uh, Richard Mm -hmm. Burton says that he, like, figured it all out when those other two people... Like, he said... I I don't remember how they introduced everybody at the beginning of the film, but I guess those three guys were all from the same, like, group or platoon or something, and the other two that they killed weren't. Mm -hmm. And Richard Burton figured out that, like, since those other two that weren't from the same group as them were killed, that it must have been the other three that did it. I mean, It's very complicated, and I may be wrong about all of this, but...
3: (laughs) Well, I was going to say I just think I think that's all correct. It's just that those three guys were the same three guys, and then.
4: Well, one of my notes was that I think I'm going to enjoy this movie on a rewatch because I'm going to have a base of mm. understanding, and then I'll be able to pick up some of the things I missed this first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm hoping this case because I do plan on watching this movie again.
3: I would too. Quite frankly, once it got to that point with the uh, the dining hall table, mm-hmm. and then the action really kicked off, I literally in my brain was like well, the guys on the show are going to explain exactly what happened, so I'm just going to sit back and enjoy the rest of this. Because <laughs> I was like, I know I missed something in here. <laughs> but, you know, then at that point, once everything starts popping off, I was having a great time. So.
4: Yeah, mm-hmm. it, there's, mov- there's moments like this in some movies where, you know, you don't mind the exposition, be- like, literally being explained to you, because you're like, okay, yes, now I get it. Yes, now I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't seem corny when, like, you're watching a dumb movie and someone's trying to explain to you what's happening. Like right. this is like a, <laughs> yeah. a thing like, Oh, thank you. Please tell me what I'm supposed to understand right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought they did it in a really good way in this movie for sure. Like you were, yeah. you were very, especially for, you know, me only see, seeing it for the first time. I didn't trust anybody until that moment. And I still didn't right. trust, you know, Richard Burton because I didn't know exactly what was going to go down, but the way it all played out, I thought was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And
3: especially in the end, like how the like, main trader guy got it in the end with like (laughs) you want to get hanged or you just want to walk the (laughs) pool.
1: yeah really awesome (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah that is good oh so good yeah it's something i honestly feel more frequently than i feel like i should when i watch james bond movies especially older ones to bring it back to that again is that a lot of times i don't really know what's going on with like why they're going to this place or that place or what exactly the bad guy wants. But in those kind of movies, I'm there more for just the fun action and the, you know, the gadgets and the, the kitsch of it. This movie taking itself so seriously, uh, you know, I did feel like I pretty much understood everything and I do want that exposition, but, um, yeah, like movies from this era, I feel like sometimes they were trying a little too hard to like, Wow, the audience with like how clever they were. Mm. But, um, I don't know. I still enjoy that stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The funny thing I read about this movie, like the reason this film even exists is, uh, Richard Burton was married to Elizabeth Taylor at the time, and his career was kind of waning a little bit. And, uh, one of her, one of Elizabeth Taylor's sons, one of his stepsons, complained that, uh, Richard Burton always dies in the movies that he's in. And he was like, when are you going to be in a movie where you don't die? So uh, the way that I read it, Richard Burton went to a producer named Elliot Kastner and asked if he had some kind of superhero stuff for him to do where he doesn't get killed. And the producer went to writer Alistair McLean and requested an adventure film with mystery suspense and action. And six weeks later, he delivered a script for this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And he was a novelist as well, but he actually wrote the script for the film before the novel.
0: Oh. Huh. Wow. it's
1: cool. I thought that was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All because of Elizabeth Taylor's son. All right. But yeah, this is another one of those movies. I feel like the more, Dax, you and I talk about older movies like this and classic actors from the time, I feel like you don't hear about this stuff as much now, but it seems like everybody was just, like, out for themselves and... Like the the only reason that Clint Eastwood agreed to do this movie, because he thought that the script was terrible, and apparently he actually requested to have less dialogue, and so they gave mm. a bunch of his dialogue to Richard Burton and let Clint Eastwood just be like the strong silent guy, which works mm-hmm. yeah, he definitely was that in this I noticed it for sure <laughs> but to get him in the movie, they had to give him a pay increase, and then they also the studio had to buy him a motorcycle <laughs> <laughs> So I forget the exact model But Clint Eastwood got a motorcycle out of this movie People can
3: be bought, Mills
1: That's true mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought I thought that was funny And this is the one where uh, they wanted Lee Marvin To play the Clint Eastwood character But he refused to do it like I mentioned earlier Alright, his loss <laughs> But yeah, I like I like Clint in a role like this um, Yeah He's just, I don't know I find him entertaining to watch Even if he does mm-hmm. say very little Yeah He's got that face. You know, he's got a face of a
3: grizzled old soldier.
1: Yeah, the scene that I remember really winning me over the first time I watched it, and I still loved it this time, is, you know, again, these days in action movies, you know, I love watching stuff like The Fast and the Furious where, like, the action scenes are jumping cars between skyscrapers and having a submarine, like a nuclear submarine chasing cars under the ice and shit like that. But just the simplicity of how tense... And, like, suspenseful, they can make three guys fighting on top of oh, that yeah. yes. that ski lift thing, like, halfway down a mountain. Uh-huh. And just, like, how much of a struggle it is, and there's that guy hanging off the side. When he falls, it looks really fake because it's, like, green screened or whatever. Actually, I think it was front projection. I don't mm-hmm. even think they had yeah. green screen at the time. No. Uh, but, man, just how like within the con like if again if that scene was in something like avengers endgame it would have seemed so bland and simple but within the context of this movie and what's going on it is just like the most thrilling thing you have ever watched
3: Mm -hmm. like movies movies nowadays like even like um i mean i think i like uh, a winter soldier like the knife fight on the highway we all love so much right Mm -hmm. Um, but Every second of that is like so finely tuned choreographed. Yep. You know, like every nuanced movement but With something like this, whether the three guys are like, just like sloppily fighting on top of this <laughs> thing. Like it looks like real. Cause it's like part of it's like these guys, are you know, they didn't choreograph stuff crazy like this back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guy's just yeah, wildly
4: hacking at somebody with a, yeah. a, a, a ice chisel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right.
3: It seems like the director would just be like oh, Alright you three guys Tussle around and fight and then you gotta Fall off
0: you know. Yeah. Um,
1: and again you watch a movie like Skyscraper with Dwayne Johnson And there's that scene from the trailer where he He's only got one leg He's got a prosthetic leg but still he like Runs down the length of a crane And like jumps to like A, a, a skyscraper And it's mm-hmm. like completely preposterous And like I don't know Just doesn't have the weight of something like Richard Burton straps a bomb to the top of this carriage that they're on, and then you see the other one coming towards them, and you're like, oh, man, he's going to jump to that other one (laughs) as they pass (laughs) by each other. And it's just, again, within the context of this film, it's just the simplest things are so exciting because it's just so expertly crafted and planned and put together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you never know
3: because it's it's sixty-seven, they might have just had to have a guy really jump from one to the other <laughs> as it was
4: moving. Yeah. Well yeah, it's interesting, uh mentioning like some of the other action scenes where it's just like slews of Nazis running down a corridor and just the heroes just mowing him down with machine guns. Like that happens quite a few times in this movie, but it's always so satisfying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally.
1: Totally. Yeah. And uh, oh man, that SS officer, mm-hmm. uh, Von Hoppen or whatever his mm-hmm. name was, man, just you, just, you just look at his face and you want to see him die. like. <laughs> and, and again, it's a case where if this was a modern movie, I feel like he would have been like one of the final boss kind of characters, mm-hmm. but he gets taken <laughs> out kind of suddenly and surprisingly, but uh, yeah, it still feels good when it happens.
4: Yeah. Do you want to talk yeah. about all the, like... Uh, similarities to *Inglorious Bastards* this movie has, or uh, by all means, like uh, I feel like the dynamite is exactly the same <laughs> dynamite that uh, they use in oh yeah both of these movies, the, the same uh, mm-hmm. design um, probably. The crowded bar scene, I feel like that was the inspiration for the bar scene in the basement of *Inglorious Bastards*. It just seems so similar to me,
0: mm, and yeah. uh, the boy.
4: Gestapo guy courting Mary is just like uh mm, yep. Brule. Uh, dating uh yeah that i picked up that immediately and i was like oh man it it gives inglorious bastards like a little bit more i already love that movie but i love like just seeing like that master of homage that quentin tarantino can do like he doesn't he doesn't really rip anything off he takes ideas and just pushes them further and i really appreciate that about that movie now
1: yeah yeah i always love when i see something like this that you know or that you can tell is something that he's a fan of, mm-hmm. and just immediately it's like you've come to the thing that was, you know, referencing something else before you saw the thing it was referencing, and it's it is that satisfying feeling of like, oh, I get it now. Like it wasn't even something you had to get, but like now it's like a little extra added something mm-hmm. like, that you know like, or you have noticed about the film.
3: Yeah, now now you're in on it, and it just makes makes it that much more fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and like in addition to the bar scene. Uh, seeming similar to that sequence in *Inglorious Bastards, just that long dialogue scene where they're trying to root out, like, who is and isn't a Nazi Mm in the dining hall also reminds me of that, like, basement bar scene in uh, *Inglorious Bastards, for sure, as well. Yeah, no, totally. But, yeah, uh, I just... I love this
3: movie's style. (laughs) Definitely, absolutely. Yeah, it looks looks cool. I mean, great set pieces. Crazy action. Mm
4: -hmm. Great attitude, too, I think. Like, it just just has, like, this... Great tone the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing I really liked about it was like they never apologized for Mary being a woman. Like she's just mm. badass the whole time, and like it's ne- she's mm-hmm. never questioned. There's no line like "Hey, pretty good for a woman" or something like that. She's just yeah. she's just always on the same level as the man the whole time. Yeah,
3: yeah, it's just
1: her and Clint are both shooting machine guns out at the, the back, back of that, that bus. is <laughs> So good. <Just> the- <laughs> yeah, the whole ending is the two of them just blasting out the back window <laughs> yeah. of that bus.
4: <laughs> Like, when she sets up and just takes out the two guys on the motorcycle, I I watched that scene twice.
1: (laughs) Even though the name of this movie's hardcore. Yeah, really. Eagles
0: Dare.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the original name of the movie was Castle of Eagles, but the producer who uh, asked McClane to write the script wasn't a fan of it. So, I think Where Eagles Dare comes from Shakespeare. It's like a line from one of his plays or something, but... Definitely a badass title.
3: Yeah, That guy just like threw his cocktail across his, you know, his uh, whiskey right across the room
1: and was like, nope, I don't like that name. It's not <laughs> tough enough. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to, to cap it off, I guess, um, after I watched the movie, again, I remembered that I liked it the first time, but I went back and I looked at my letterboxed review and I still feel the exact same way that I do about the the last little bit of my review here that says, Michael Bay, be damned. This is how you excite and captivate an audience. I can mm. sleep through scenes of Optimus Prime and indecipherable Decepticons tumbling through buildings at dusk all day long. But, but, but while Richard Burton duels with two Nazis atop a carriage car in the Bavarian Alps, I'm on the edge of my goddamn seat.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and that is still how I feel about this movie. Totally, man. Totally. It's just a... I don't know. I think everybody owes it to themselves to see this one. It's not like...
4: Mm, yeah, definitely.
1: It's not, like, the most well-known. Like, I feel like The Dirty Dozen has way more name value, but this movie, man, just a fucking thrill ride.
4: Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely.
1: Like, if anybody is listening to this and hasn't seen it, I would hope that after the the three of us have just heaped all this praise on it that people will give it a look because it is totally worth it.
4: Yeah, and again, like, I'm looking forward to watching it again. I think this has has a lot of rewatch value. Oh,
1: yeah. Let us know if it's the same three guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this is one where I haven't looked into it, but uh, man, I would love a nice Blu-ray release of this from someone.
3: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: So, All right, we ready to move on to our third and final film?
3: Let's do it. Let's do it.
1: All right, from 1970, we have Kelly's Heroes.
2: Cigarette? No smoke. The fuel system is rotten. We have gasoline all over the place. Sorry. Hey, look, Max... You and us, we're just soldiers, right? We don't even know what this war is all about. All we do is we fight and we die and for what? We don't get anything out of it. In about a half an hour, the whole American army's gonna be coming down that road. Why don't you do yourself a great big fat favor, huh? And get the hell out of here. I have orders. This bank isn't to fall into the hands of the American army. Sergeant, this bank's not gonna fall in the hands of the American army. It's gonna fall in our hands. You see, we're just a private enterprise operation. You the American army. No, baby, we You know what's inside that bank, man?
0: There's sixteen million dollars worth of gold in that bank, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: That's about sixty-five million marks and sergeant all you have to do to have an equal
3: share of this money is crank this turret around and blow a hole in that door milsey yes a group of u.s soldiers sneaks across enemy lines to get their hands on a secret stash of nazi treasure
1: it's as simple as that Mm -hmm. i was a little surprised to read that apparently this movie is influenced by a real story Oh, because unlike even like so where Eagles dare is, you know, front to back a thriller like spy adventure film and dirty dozen. It's more humorous, but it's still about like our goal at the end of this is to go. I don't know if we ever said, but like their goal is they're going to take these 12 guys who are like subpar soldiers and they're just going to send them on a mission to murder as many Nazi officers <laughs> as they possibly can at like a dinner party. Mm-hmm. This movie, it does take place during world war II, but the entire film is uh Clint Eastwood's character. Kelly from the title, uh, discovers from a Nazi that they've captured that, uh, There's like a fortune in gold in a bank in this small town behind enemy lines and the movie isn't about like yeah we're on a mission to rescue somebody or assassinate somebody they literally sneak off from like their platoon and they're gonna rob a bank basically they're gonna get theirs mills yeah so again very different tonally more in line with 12 uh with the dirty dozen because it is humorous as well to a large degree oh
0: yeah
1: uh brian this is the thing i've been dying to ask you ever since i watched this movie again okay here we go did you recognize any surprising cameos in this movie you mean uncle leo (laughs) Uncle Leo is in this! <laughs>
4: and he just it seems like he's playing Uncle Leo. <laughs> he's just annoyed and angry the whole time.
1: <laughs> and he gets screwed over by killing his gang. Who the hell's Uncle Leo? Uh, he is Jerry's uncle on Seinfeld. Okay. Just a, you know, if you're a fan of the show, he's just uh, one of these characters that pops up every now and then and is just a very mm. memorable, recognizable. He's like an old man, you know, like a doddering old fool <laughs> in the show. But in this, he is uh, <laughs> he's the guy that uh, Clint Eastwood's character calls to help them build a bridge. So he's the one oh. that's like the whole time. He's, like, on the other side of the bridge, and he's on the radio, and he's like, you better not live without us. You said equal shares. And Clint Eastwood's like, hey, if you catch up to us, you can have yours, and they leave him behind.
0: <laughs>
1: it's so funny. I, I never noticed him before the other times I've seen it, but I I saw him this time, and I was just like, god damn, that's Uncle Leo. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: You know, I'll, I'll come around and say this movie feels like it's kind of shot out of canon because... I, I feel like I could have been, like, on the ground watching this happen, where it's like, I'm like, what the, what the hell is going on? This army jeep's just, like, in the middle of all these goose-stepping assholes. You know, because they have captured that one Nazi. Mm-hmm. The, and it's just like, the, they just got their jeep is sitting there in the middle of everything. And then
1: all of a sudden, one guy notices, and they take off and dr- drive through the town. Yeah, it almost feels like it drops you in on, like, the final moments of an entire, like, you know, heist, like, capturing a Nazi totally. character that from a movie you didn't see. Absolutely.
4: And so it's like, alright guys, we're out of here. And, like, they don't use doors, they just drive right through the barn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't need this anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing, it's like, alright, we're out of here.
1: <laughs> but yeah, like I was saying earlier, um, I remember when I watched this when I was younger, not being the biggest fan of it, and I think it's because it's just, like, it it again it has like kind of a more casual pace and it's not like an action packed film which i would have expected from a war movie at the time but uh it is a movie that has a lot of character and i've definitely come around on it in a big mm-hmm. way and i'm definitely a fan of this movie now oh, it's
3: oh so yeah
4: it's so much fun like it it's hard not to like
3: mm-hmm. yeah i liked all three clearly oh, yeah. as we've gone on with the episode um this one i f- like i feel like it's got the best cast of characters for me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they're all like a little, everybody's a little nuts. I mean, you got Donald Sutherland's playing oddball, crying out loud. Yeah. And,
1: <laughs> He's like a fucking you know, hippie in World War Two. Was
3: this? No, I watched this second. I watched Eagles Dare, Kelly's Heroes, and then Dirty Dozen. So it was like, for this, it was like, because after seeing like, Clint Eastwood's like, you know, uh, all, mostly silent in Where Eagles Dare. So this is like his personality's coming out. And you got Don Rickles. and
0: <laughs> Yeah.
3: I mean, even like Telly Savalas, I was like, you know, this isn't someone I haven't expected to see. And I end up loving Big Joe might be my favorite
4: character. (laughs) Oh, believe me, I'm ready to talk about Telly Savalas in this movie.
3: (laughs) (laughs) By all means. Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, you know, like just a fun, like crazy wild cast of characters.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean
4: i feel like telly savallas's mission on this movie was just to get the men laid <laughs> like the first half of the movie's like guys we're gonna get drunk we're gonna have sex we're gonna have a party <laughs> like, yeah. he's like well we don't i'm have gonna drive moves.
1: into town and i'm gonna find some dirty movies
4: yeah and then i love the scene <laughs> right. where the guy in the g bags bag sold, like a big re- like 10 reels of dirty movies
0: <laughs>
4: but, just yelling barking at people yeah. it was great the beginning uh where they're like uh uh hey uh the captain wants to see you Yeah, the captain yeah i'll be right with you <laughs> and then later it's like well we don't have any booze hey we don't have any booze <laughs> like, just mocking his troops it's so good
3: brian weiner as, <laughs> as Big Joe.
4: but i loved it i loved how he was the last holdout too for the whole scheme and then they finally you know get him in there Yes. yes, I mean, but I, th- I think yeah. my runner-up though is definitely Donald Sutherland as Oddball. Like, I love the the um, oh. contrast of his character to the old school soldiers that he's working with. I thought it was great.
3: Mm-hmm. So good, like the hippie the hippie uh, tank unit. It's just yeah. like, what is this? I love my it. My
4: favorite part of the movie is when they they catch him just like lounging, eating cheese and wine. He's like, "Well, the tank's <laughs> broken. What do you want me to do?" <laughs>
1: like fix it and he's like i don't know how it works man i just drive it or whatever (laughs) i just tell it where to go
4: i also loved how he was so like like the tank was like a part of him like he'd use like the gun to like slide down it and like look out the windows Mm. and stuff and the way he like flip off the tanks i loved all that stuff Uh,
1: yeah he's good he's definitely a highlight of the movie him and his crew uh I just love, like, the idea of all the modifications that they made to the tank. Like, they play loud music, mm-hmm. and mm. they have some of the the rounds that aren't actually, like, meant to do damage. They just fire paint.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when that, like, comes back at the end of the movie, when that uh, enemy tank is uh, stuck down that road, and it can't turn to face them to fire at them yep. because there's, like, trees and walls in the way. <laughs>
4: i I just love clinton eastwood turns and he goes it's paint
1: (laughs) all right as nobody else could tell yeah it just splatters red (laughs) on the back of the the tank so good
3: i mean any movie that's got a tank fight in it is gonna score points with me and this one certainly does you know
4: it's funny i think the last war movie i ever saw was fury but from what 2012 yeah (laughs) good lord
3: yeah (laughs) some great tank action Mm -hmm. in that one
4: so yeah and like I say, going back to the Dirty Dozen, I also loved uh, Donald Sutherland in that movie, too. Like, he's, like, awkward, like, kind of, uh-huh. like, shy guy, but he does the fake General's uh, stick <laughs> in the middle of the movie. Yeah,
1: it's funny. He I was reading that he was, like, a last-minute addition to that movie. Somebody else was cast in the role and, like, dropped out or something. And he also wasn't supposed to do the impersonating the General scene. It was supposed to be, I think, Clint Walker, but he didn't want to do it because he thought it would be, like, an... I guess he's Native American and he thought it would be insulting to his people or something. I don't, I hmm. didn't fully understand the reason, but like on the day, the director was just like, okay, Sutherland, you're doing it. So it's like some of the, like one of the most memorable parts of that movie, like yeah. wasn't planned until the minute that it was supposed to happen. Well, it worked out. Yeah. You've also got Don Rickles in this as uh, a crap, crap game. <laughs>
4: crap. Like who wrote the name crap game? Oh yeah. This is what our character is going to be. Crap game.
1: It's so,
3: like, this is, like, particular to me, but I know Don Rickles the most just because he's in Casino.
0: Mm. So, like,
3: that's, to me, is Don Rickles. So I gotta be honest, it took me, like, a way too long to realize it was Don Rickles in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Like, too, too long, but then finally I was like, oh, man, this is great. I mean,
1: I would personally know him most just to close my eyes and hear his voice, and I picture Mr. Potato Head from Toy Story. Oh, nice. But, um... It yeah, just by coincidence, just recently I happened to watch the first movie he was ever in, which was a uh, another World War Two movie, uh, Run Silent and Run Deep. It's oh like yeah, a submarine, submarine film. movie. Yeah, yeah. And he's in that. And then when I was looking it up after the fact, I realized like, oh, that's a, the first movie he was ever in. Hmm. It's that's coincidental cool. that I just watched that and this at almost the same time. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting like When I watched Run Silent Run Deep uh, Don Rickles being in that movie Like he's known for being a comedian And I don't know like how well known he was at that point Since that was his first movie But then again putting him in something like this It's just There's like this feeling I get from old Hollywood Where like nowadays You have someone like a Michael Bay Or a Christopher Nolan And you always expect the same kind of movies Out of a director once they have their niche But like back in the day, if you look at the directors who made all three of these films and you look at what they made, it's like, oh, they made a couple of horror movies and they made comedies and maybe Mm. they made musicals or something. Mm -hmm. And same thing with actors. It's like just because Don Rickles is like known for like being a comedian, like he would pop up in a movie like this. And this is a war film that has humor to it. But I just find that interesting, like how diverse, you know, maybe not diverse in the ways you would want them to be diverse these days, but how diverse the types of actors, like character actors and things would be in these movies.
4: Well, I feel like Don Rickles in a movie like this is just like the, even if he isn't like the true comic relief, you can just kind of feel comfortable knowing it's Don Rickles, like in those situations where Mm -hmm. like, he's talking to the kid about writing his letters home to his mom and things like that. It's just like, that's not a funny scene or like, it's just like a scene to like to feel, you know, take you away from the war uh aspect of everything and like kind of feel comfortable in that moment.
1: Mhm. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And it's also interesting that like you know, you know of him even if even if you're not super familiar with him just like from hearing his name and his voice and stuff that like oh this guy is known for comedy and even within this war film for the most part he's the one who's like whining and complaining and there's like goofy little bits with him here and there. But then in the end during the climactic action like He's on that little like gun emplacement thing mm-hmm. outside the barracks, and when all the mm-hmm. Nazi soldiers get alerted something's going on and they run out the front door and he's just blasting the <laughs> fuck out of them in that doorway. Like they bottleneck yeah. those guys. Don Rickles yeah. murdered some people.
3: Oh, big time. And, and I mean that, moments that whole... later
1: he gets like blown up in the shit house and he smells like shit, but like, mm-hmm. he did get some murder on too. Oh <laughs> yeah. I thought that
3: the last like the final set piece whatever that little town was was so good i loved
4: it yeah me too
1: that reminded me a lot of um saving private ryan the end of that film where it's like the opposite way where they have to defend this little town but in this one it's like this little town in the middle of nowhere and it's again it's not going to be a huge battle there's not like endless troops but you have a small kind of disheveled force going up a another small force and I just thought it was interesting, little things like, I don't know much about artillery, but, you know, they had these three Shermans, and they were down to the one Sherman tank when they get there, and then Donald Sutherland's character realizes, like, wait a minute, you never told me that there were, like, was it Tiger tanks? Tiger tanks, tanks yeah. mm mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, like, afraid of them. But then Clint Eastwood, I think, makes the point of, like, yeah, but those are open field tanks. Like, in these small little confined spaces, you'll be able to outrun them and get away from them. And that totally plays into the tactics in the yeah, final I, yep. action. Totally. So awesome. Like, that part I mentioned where the one gets stuck going down the small street. Yep. And then they just mm-hmm. have, like, full access to the back of it where they can blast the shit out of it. Like, yeah. Oh, I love all that little stuff. That's yeah, and awesome.
4: at first when they take out the first one, they have the element of surprise and it's are like, like, "Oh, this is perfect. Here's a freebie." And he's <laughs> like, blow, yeah. "Blow the shit out of <laughs> the first one and then to hunt down the other two. It's so good." <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: I don't know, like you guys like the I feel like the the tone of the movie's great. Like it, it 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 hits the like comedic aspect. It's like a little light, but you know, then there's the moments where it it matters like with the the final action but even when they're it's all over and they finally like are in the bank i was like so tense to be like is the gold actually mm-hmm. there you know uh, i yeah. was like worried for them because i had just the way it was presented i started to feel like there's no gold there right. Watch, there's gonna be no
4: gold like there. when Clint eastwood like starts to like carefully pull the sheet and you're like oh my god what if it is a trap you don't know
3: yes. <laughs> yes. yeah i was like man
1: this movie Got me. Speaking of that ending, though, it's just another thing that because this movie is kind of a comedy, uh, I had forgotten about this because it had been a while since I'd seen this, too. But uh, at the end of the movie, there's like the one Sherman tank or the one Tiger tank left, and it's in the town square right by the bank. So, like, they have to deal with this thing if they're going to get in there. And the decision to just let's go talk to the guy. He's a human. Like, if we give him (laughs) a share of the money, then maybe... And, like, he's the nastiest looking Nazi you've ever seen. that <laughs> yeah. scar down his face. And uh-huh. he just looks like he would be the last person to turn on the Fuhrer. But then they, like, offer him some money and he fucking helps them. And uh, yeah. I love that. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Such a good little twist. And they play it all up with the uh, the kind of homage music to the Clint Eastwood Westerns. And they even add oh, yeah. the sound of spurs when the three of them are walking mm-hmm. towards them. Mm-hmm. It's very <laughs> reminiscent of uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> This is fun. This movie was fun. Definitely. Yeah, it's got an interesting tone. This one because it can get serious at times. I mean, it takes place in wars, so like people die, and that immediately makes it feel serious. Mm But
4: and speaking of that, that uh, minefield scene, like that was. Minefields are always tense, but man, I thought that was really well done. How tense that was. And then Mm -hmm. it goes right into that that battle scene, which I thought was I thought all that was so good and like so well stitched together. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: Actually, forgot about the mine scene. Which, yes, it, absolutely, is so tense.
4: When they, when they, when they did that one uh, scene, you know, when they pull back like a hat, they just pulled back just enough to know that that guy's about to step onto my landline. And I was like, oh no, please no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh. That was a pretty effective shot too, because again, this is practical, so you know that there's no like CG trickery, and uh, I, I'm assuming. Because I've watched enough behind-the-scene features to know kind of how they do these things. I'm assuming that they had an air tank, like like an air cannon below him with, like, Mm -hmm. a bunch of dust and, like, fake rocks in it to just blast up into the air, but... However, they did it. That was a real human in the middle of that explosion, whatever it was. Oh yeah, real explosion, fake explosion. I don't know, but it was super convincing looking. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely.
4: I mean, it, it looked like a real grenade, though. Like right? you know, like the explosion doesn't get you, but the shrapnel does. And like mm-hmm. it, it looked like someone just like hit him, and he just spun around, and the little plume of smoke and everything just worked so well.
1: Yeah. But the great thing about that sequence is the staging of it, because they've got the minefield, which you can clearly see because it's in that like little dirt patch. It looks like it's like a garden or, or like mm-hmm. a crop field or something. And then it's right beside the road, which has that little rock wall that they can hide behind. And so, you know, you're watching the mine scene and you're thinking, OK, it's tense because they have to be careful. But then a couple of guys are still trapped in there. And then here comes the Germans on the road, and it's like now the Nazis are between the guys on the other side of the road and the ones in the minefield. Mm -hmm. Just the setup and the staging of it all, like, just, I don't know, makes for great tension. It's just really well done. Mm -hmm. Totally.
4: Going back to um, the climax of the movie, like, when they finally, you know, find the gold and everything works out for everybody, and then, like, does that, like, quick cuts of, like, townspeople and just like everyday people then it's like it's it's inferring that like the end of the war happened in that very moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that was really strange (laughs) yeah well i mean
1: i it does it does give you weird impressions because of the way that it's edited together i mean it's not supposed to be the end of the war it's just supposed to be the americans have come and liberated this small town Mm -hmm. uh and the town is celebrating that like yay the americans are here to save us but the crowd is so big. Like I wouldn't have thought that half that many people lived in that little, fucking town. Right. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm.
4: Well, but I also love that they kept um, Carol O'Connor from finding them out. I, I thought oh, was, that yeah. was great that
1: is something I, I forgot about. And I wanted to mention, I love the whole concept behind his character. And that's like a great comedic part of the movie where, Uh, You know, because Clint Eastwood and his like small gang who are not trying to fight the war, they're just trying to be greedy and get this money. But in order to do so, they have to like do crazy shit and get behind enemy lines. And then when Carol O'Connor, who's like the general or whatever, hears about it. And he doesn't realize why they're doing it. And he's just like, these are the brave men. Like, we need to mm-hmm. be more like this. And I'm going to go down there and congratulate them myself. And it's like, mm-hmm. not only do they have to worry about the Nazis, but then at the end you're thinking like, ah, oh, Jesus. is He's going to show up at the last minute and they're not going to get their goal?" Uh-huh. I love that whole angle on it. It oh, feels I've... very um, Dr. Strange love. Like, just weird oh, yeah. miscommunications within, like, a military unit. Mm. Good stuff. I mean, I I might have even been on the edge of my seat then just being like, come on, get out of there. He's coming. He's coming. Get the gold, you know? Well, the thing that I remember thinking this time is, like, they're on their way there. Yeah, they have the Sherman tanks, but, like, their vehicle that they were riding in originally got destroyed. And then uh, Uncle Leo and his whole group of people are stuck back at the bridge. Like, when they get to the small town, I'm thinking, like, that's, how many bars of gold was it supposed to be? Like, 14,000 bars of gold or some crazy shit? Yeah,
3: it was, yep.
1: And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, I've never really handled gold, but I know that gold is very heavy. Like, how are they going to get all this gold out of there? And, like, even after they loaded up that fucking truck, like, I don't know what that truck was intended to haul, but with all that gold and all those dudes (laughs) on it, I was like, how are the shocks on this thing holding the car up? But, you know, obviously not something you're supposed to think about. And even then, like, how do they, I guess their plan was they were going to go to France. That's why they were checking to see how much the gold would be worth and, like. You know trade it in for cash or whatever Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: like it doesn't Feel like the journey is over like yes they've got The gold but now they have to get to France Without someone on either Side stopping them and either killing them or Confiscating the gold But yeah things you're probably not supposed to think about (laughs) (laughs) That's a milsy Yeah but yeah like I said Earlier this is apparently loosely based On a real event There's not a whole lot of Information about it So the Guinness Book of World Records from the years 1956 to 2000 listed the true event as the quote-unquote greatest robbery on record. Uh, The robbery of a German National Gold Reserve in Bavaria by a combination of U.S. military personnel and German civilians in 1945. Hmm. I like it. But the thing is, from what I was reading... Like there it was named in the Guinness Book of World Records, and that's what the person who wrote the I think it was a novel first that this was then based on That's where they got the the idea. But then people actually started to investigate it, and I guess there was some kind of government cover up of this that happened and uh, over the course of like twenty or thirty years, there was an investigation going on, and they finally some number of years ago discovered two of the gold bars that like were still in existence and they're now in like a museum somewhere in london or something like that like there's some kind of crazy weird cover-up going on with it but mm. i thought that that was pretty fascinating i'd like to read more about it triple threats gotta take a field trip <laughs> <laughs> yeah to visit the gold bars from killie's Heroes. <laughs> mm-hmm. the film was filmed primarily in yugoslavia the main reason being that in nineteen, the late '60s, when the movie was made, they still had a number of functioning Sherman tanks, so nice. that is why they filmed there. Yeah, <laughs> I always thought that movie. was
4: interesting that like you could like rent out your army to a film studio to make war movies.
1: <laughs> 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 yeah, well, hell, one of the most memorable things from. Uh, the uh making of episode of Triple Threat the Dax oh, and I did was Yeah Apocalypse uh, Now. Yeah, in Apocalypse Now, like they had the uh the army in the Philippines like using their helicopters and then there was actually a war going on. So they were filming a scene with the helicopters and they just suddenly started to take off and fly away. And Francis Ford Coppola's like, Hey, what's going on? And someone's like, Oh, there's like uh, some rebels in the, the forest not far from here <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty fucking wild. Wild. Yeah. George Kennedy from The Dirty Dozen turned down the role of Big Joe because he just wasn't a fan of the part. His loss. Telly Savalas, though, quite good in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, something else just about, uh, you know, actors back then and the, kind of the weird behind-the-scenes stories you hear. Uh, Clint Eastwood signed onto to this movie specifically because his friend and favorite director Don Siegel was supposed to direct it. And then Siegel had to pull out because of post-production problems with the movie Two Mules for Sister Sarah. And Clint Eastwood wanted to drop out of the movie, too, but he was already under contract, so he couldn't. Because since he was a big star, the studio didn't want to lose him, so they they were going to hold hold him to his end of the contract, no matter what. So, like, he did this movie, which is, like, very lighthearted and fun, when he didn't really want to. But ends up being really good anyway
4: well isn't this directed Mm -hmm. by the same person that did um where eagles dare
1: yes it is the same director as where eagles dare but the person who was supposed to direct it was don siegel who uh clint eastwood was friends with gotcha okay yeah a lot of weird little connections that you know i didn't anticipate when i matched up these three movies just because of the types of films they are but like clint eastwood's in two of them and uh, Telly Savalas and Donald Pleasance are both in two of them. Two of them are directed by the same guy. I mean, same kind of movies in the same era. I guess it's not too surprising. Mm-hmm. Just the same we couldn't get a little Uncle Leo cameo in Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: and by the way, you said Donald Pleasance again. <laughs> oh, did I? God damn it. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Sutherland. Apologies to Donald Sutherland and <laughs> Kiefer Sutherland.
4: Can we talk about the amount of pyro that's in this movie? <laughs>
1: Yes, there is
4: so. There are so many explosions in this movie. Every scene I feel like has at least like eight to ten like little explosions, and there's some bigger explosions in there as well. Like even so Mm -hmm. much, sometimes the extras don't even flinch when they go off. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, there's a there's a part that I. remember when it's just a easy dialogue shot of uh, Clint talking on his radio and there's just an explosion over his shoulder. Yeah. And it's so <laughs> casual. he doesn't even react to it, but I'm just thinking how much did this scene cost and how many times <laughs> did they blow something up over his shoulder? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I love that whole scene when they're at the bridge and they leave, uh, uh, Len, Len lesser is uncle Leo's real name. They leave him and his group behind And that whole scene is just utter chaos with explosions (laughs) going off everywhere. Oh, yeah. Another thing that I think is kind of neat about that scene is, like, you would think in a normal movie, you would see, like, they roll up on that bridge and then they get attacked. And, like, in the movie, you just cut in and already Clint Eastwood's on one side of the bridge, Len Lesser and his group on the other, and it's utter chaos. And you didn't see how that scene started because it's not really necessary. You just needed the reason for them to all get split up. I thought that was kind of interesting.
4: Mm-hmm. One thing I definitely want to mention about this movie is um, the theme song
1: for this movie.
0: Mm. Yeah.
4: Um, like what,
1: Very seventies.
4: Oh yeah. When, when, when uh, you, know, you first hear it in that opening scene, uh, I was just like, Oh, this, oh, this beats kind of hot. <laughs> I was like, Oh, this is not what I was expecting from this, uh, this war movie. And then all of a sudden the feel good family band <laughs> comes in. And I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> And oh, then wah, wah. and then they're driving through just explosions and gunfire and then that just the uh, the Mike Curb congregation is just pleasantly singing over all that chaos. I was like this does not <laughs> feel right at all.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels out of place but also just feels like something they would have done and did in fact do in the 70s. Yes. I <laughs> love it. Oh, that's something I actually forgot to mention when we were talking about where Eagles dare is I love the music in that movie. Mhm. Like that main Mm -hmm. theme, it just, it feels kind of generic because I feel like there's been a ton of movies with themes like it. But during little moments when they're like uh, climbing on the side of a castle or something that's not all that incredible, like that music just helps add more like tension and suspense in that movie. There's just like a great theme that I didn't look up the the composer, but somebody wrote a great theme for that movie that is not like a 70s family band. (laughs) <laughs> true, true. Yeah, so uh, anything else to say about uh, Kelly's Heroes or are we... Well, I think we covered it. Getting ready to wrap her up here. I think so, yeah. Let's talk some posters. Let's do that. For a change, I feel like more often than not, we have like three posters that aren't that good or like one good one and a couple of bad ones. hmm I feel like these... these... Are, like... All on par with each other. Yeah, overall, not too bad of a selection. I mean, we're in
4: a good era for movie uh, posters, for sure, especially illustrations. Definitely.
1: hmm mm-hmm. So, yeah, starting off with Dirty Dozen, like I mentioned earlier, based on the poster for this movie, I expected it to be wall-to-wall action, which yes. is not. But, man, this is a fucking awesome poster illustration. Mm-hmm. Fair amount of, of text. text that I don't yep. feel like I need, but... Uh... You know, it was the style at the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, good likenesses, good colors. Yeah, I just love that orange with, like, a little bit of color at the yeah. bottom of it. and Oh, yeah. I don't know. It's just a... It's a very pretty image to look at. Mm-hmm. You know, we've dissed on some posters in the past for the amount of text uh this isn't Mm -hmm. as egregious as some of the ones we've seen before it also the text feels like it's integrated with the design better than some we've seen where it's just like a block of text in a random spot yeah Mm -hmm. this isn't blocks of text that you have to
3: like read a paragraph this is just like short concise points Mm -hmm. which i'm much more okay
1: with and we've even seen instances on older posters like for the Towering Inferno where they just put like a billion little photos of all the different cast members. But in this, you know, there's three little photos, but they're all illustrations as well. So it's like, mm-hmm. I even dig that stuff. Yeah, totally.
4: Yeah, I think this might be the kind of the style of the time because I remember um, a lot of the older James Bond movies were like uh, three points and then something to bring it all together. I think that's just like what people were used to in you know being marketed to for movies back then.
1: Yeah, to have everything like spelled out for you. Yeah. (laughs) But still, as like as much as this poster is telling you, as much information as it's giving you, it still does not feel like it really represents the movie all that well. Yeah, no way. (laughs) Which I'm not gonna hold against it because the art is so good. But somehow all of these
3: things are in this movie. Yeah, it's just they're all in the last thirty minutes. (laughs) Mm, Right. Of the two hours and 30-minute runtime, this is, uh, you know, 40 minutes. Yeah.
4: Yeah, it looks like the most exciting uh, pulp paperbacks you ever read, but it just doesn't translate on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Great poster, though. Mm-hmm. Give it mm-hmm. that. For sure. Uh, Where Eagles Dare. This one does commit that sin of having just, like, photos and little boxes of the actors. Yeah. They don't go overboard because there's only three of them. But this is another case where it's like, you have this beautiful painting. Why isn't that the whole poster? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why does it feel like it is, you know, three-fifths of the poster, and then it's like all this yeah. dead space around it?
3: Like, the Dirty Dozen one is great because it's it's quick points. It's not, like, chunks of text, and it's all illustrated where this one loses it because it's chunks of text, and then three photos where it. Those should have been illustrated, too.
4: And also, who picked these photos? <laughs> yeah. like, these photos are just Richard Burton t- smoking, like his half his face is covered, and then the other two are literally looking down the barrel of essentially the same gun squinting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. ha- that makes me want to see this movie?
1: <laughs> well, to be fair, Quint- Clint Eastwood was always squinting. That's true. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Yeah, don't love the text on this one either, although it's kind of funny, but it doesn't really suit the movie. One weekend, Major Smith, (laughs) Lieutenant Schaefer, and a beautiful blonde named Mary decided to win World War II. Not exactly. The image is great, though. Yeah. Yeah. They must do what no army can do, go where no army can go, penetrate the castle of the eagle, nerve center of the Gestapo, and blow it up. Yeah, like, none of that text is necessary. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I got that from the image. Like you're telling me that an audience back then wouldn't just look at that fucking painting and say, "Yes, I want to see that movie." Right.
3: <laughs> it's like why well, do you don't need text to describe the image directly below it? Yeah.
1: Yeah,
4: you had me at the at the um Nazis falling off of the uh crumbling cable car. <laughs> like I'm in.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and even like the uh the text at the bottom, like the random yellow and orange text, I'm mm-hmm. not the biggest fan of. The title feels like it should be bigger. Oh, without a doubt. But So it's like, man, there's some great stuff about this, but then putting it all together was not super successful. Yeah, like, for, like the Dirty Dozen works well, too. Like the main image isn't framed
3: by anything where this one is, so it closes in. It makes like the image smaller mm-hmm. just by closing enclosing it in black and then just so much text and
1: poor photos just take away from it. Yeah. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And then Kelly's Heroes, not the best of the lot.
4: Not the best, but also kind of (laughs) perfect.
1: Yeah, the
3: likenesses are great. Mm -hmm. I love the likenesses. Um, Yeah, they almost look like photos.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
3: And this is like the cleanest of the three. Yeah. Something about the tank and the guys walking in front of it.
4: Yeah, I mean it's cheesy, but I kind of like the the fact that it is cheesy because the movie, you know, kind of is cheesy as well. Like I I yeah, I, I feel yeah. like this really captures the overall tone of the movie the best.
1: I guess that's referencing them approaching the tank at the end, but there were only 3 of them in that scene. Uh yeah, that walk just up to the tank. Off. I don't know if it's cuz they made the tank so much bigger. I don't know, just uh I personally am not a big fan of the rainbow at the top.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem like it, it should be there. If you lost the rainbow and I would say even take the figures out in front of the tank, but left the tank and everything else, I'd like it a lot
1: more. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah, this is another one where there's like good elements and there's like some good technical painting going on, but um I I don't love the way it's assembled necessarily. Yeah,
4: well I'll tell you finish. this, the first thing I think of when I see this. Poster is that damn theme song.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like the rainbow is very indicative of the tone of that song. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. They set out to rob a bank and damn near won a war instead. Although they're Mm -hmm. insinuating that they like almost won the war. Like neither this nor Where Eagles Dare did they like make a big enough impression to actually win the war. Maybe the information that they gathered during the course of Where Eagles Dare would help lead them to winning the war. But Mm -hmm. Like, Kelly's heroes, you know, they ended up teaming up with a Nazi to steal some yeah. gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was, that, this is a heist. Yeah. Yeah. Mills, break it down for the people. Well, sir, uh, man, I... That Dirty Dozen poster is so good. <laughs> yeah,
4: I'm I'm going to put the, my vote in right now. It's definitely dirt, Dirty Dozen for me.
1: I concur. Yeah, Dirty Dozen is definitely going to get uh, five women of the night coming to the graduation party. Um, wow where eagles dare man if it was just that painting in the center and the logo was better it would be so good i mean still i'm gonna give it uh four bundles of dynamite (laughs) and uh kelly's heroes i feel like it has some good elements but all it just doesn't come together for me i I don't know. There's some. I I really hate that rainbow at the top. <laughs> this one's going to get a mere two gold bars for me. Oh. I
3: would say. I, I mean, I like your scoring system as always. I would actually give Kelly's Hero my second spot just because it actually, it's still, there's a couple of parts I don't like, but it, it feels like, this feels like more of a poster than the Where Eagles Dare does. Where's the Eagles Dare to me feels like an ad mm-hmm. in like a magazine, mm-hmm. not a movie
1: poster. I just think the illustration, like in the center of it oh yeah, I, despite the fact that it is modeled by other things, mm. that is so strong to me that it beats Kelly's heroes for me personally.. It's great, but, great image. Yeah, yeah, the rest of it really ruins it for me. Mm-hmm.
4: I can dig it. Cool. Brian. Well, my gut feeling was disrated on what I would want to put on my wall. And Dirty Dozens posters, you know, by far what I would want to frame and hang on my wall. And I, sure. I think I'm going to go Kelly's Heroes next just because, I don't know, it's just something about it speaks to me. Big Joe's smile. Could <Does> be. <laughs> yeah. I, I, totally. I, I feel like the uh, the likenesses and this the overall feeling that you kind of get from looking at this poster. And I, I feel like I get more of the feeling of this movie from that one than I do um, it, Where Eagles Dare.
3: Mm. part of me likes the fact
4: that it's a cheesy ed kind of looking thing but there's no way i'd hang this on my wall
1: right i concur well the i mean what you could do is just uh break out the old Xacto knife and cut out the (laughs) awesome center painting of i there. (laughs) just hang that up that really is the move for sure kelly's heroes actually has a poster by um jack davis the uh Mad Magazine artist. Did anybody else see that when they were, like, looking at the movie online? No. He's the guy who always drew people with, like, feet that looked like they were three times too long. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, the four characters from the uh, actual poster holding a flag that is a giant dollar bill. Mm. Uh, I like that. I'm
4: actually looking at that right now on Wikipedia. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah.
4: And uh, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I prefer that to the other poster that we were just looking at, but... Yeah, I I think that leans on the humor a little too much. (laughs) (laughs) They had
4: a message for the army. Up the brass. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Uh, Yeah, Uh, love it. Love it.
1: Anyway. All right, boys. Here we go. Okay. Who wants to go first? Buy, borrow, burn. I know where I'm going. I don't know if Brian wants the honor since he's the guest.
4: Sure. Well... (sighs) I'm definitely going uh, <laughs> to buy Where Eagles Dare. Oh, excuse me. I'm definitely going to buy Where Eagles Dare. And I've been going back and forth even before we started recording, but also while we've been recording. And I think I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to say I'm going to borrow Kelly's Heroes and I'm going to burn the Dirty Dozen. I
1: can dig it. Very I good. I dig it. I'll just go ahead and toss my hat in the ring. I'm exactly the same. Oh, Where Eagles Dare is... You know, the easy standout for me because it's just a little more the kind of movie that I'm into where it takes itself a little more seriously and it uh it's just that like nonstop thrill ride and I get mm-hmm. so into like suspenseful lengthy action scenes and stuff in movies. Dirty Dozen, it's still a good movie, but admittedly I think part of it is my expectations were so off of what the movie actually is. I'm with you on that. Yeah, like on a rewatch, I think I might even like it more. It's not that I disliked it, but it just, it takes a while to get to what I was looking for in the film. And all the stuff leading up to it is good, but um, yeah, I don't know. It did leave me wanting a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then Kelly's Heroes, which I've seen a couple times before, I feel like I liked it more on this watch than ever before. Maybe because this is the first time I spotted Uncle Leo. But um, (laughs) yeah, I think that it, I think that Kelly's heroes has a better balance on the humor and then the more serious war stuff than dirty dozen does.
4: Yeah, so. mm-hmm. I agree. I, I felt like I felt more connected to those characters than I did from the characters in the dirty dozen, maybe because they are more expendable, but I, yeah. it just, you know, it is at the end of the movie. I just didn't feel the same way. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's going to be a, a, a buy where Eagles dare borrow Kelly's heroes and burn the dirty dozen. Unfortunately.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Interesting. I will come and say my burn is the Dirty Dozen. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily find it to be horrible by any means, but tonally it was all over the place. Yeah. Probably too much for me. The payoff was fine, but the I feel like the end payoff on the other two is so much better that leaves this one behind.
1: I would agree that the other two have the better... Climactic action, yeah. mm-hmm.
3: for sure. And then, now that I've seen it, I'm glad I have finally. But it's like I don't feel like I'd I would ever see myself watching it again. Like this just feels like a one and done. Like, you know, I didn't feel like I missed anything. Where quite literally, the other two, I could have missed things that were important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> so with that, with the other two, it comes to where Eagles Dare feels like the more like suspenseful action, and then you got like a half comedy action romp with mm-hmm. Kelly's Heroes. And, um, hey, it's going to be, like, a three-way tie here. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm buying Where Eagles Dare, and I'm going to borrow Kelly's Heroes. That's a first. <laughs> like, where, yeah. I mean, Where Eagles Dare is just, like, it stands out from the pack of, like, a lot of movies, like, older movies that I'm just, like, I said at the top of the show, like, starting to watch now. But it feels, like, so concise, and it's so, like, it's so packed with stuff, but it pulls it off so well. And it's just like, it's, it's exciting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where like Kelly's heroes, I really liked and it's, it's fun. So Kelly's heroes is fun where Eagles Dare is exciting. And I think it's just right now that pulls it out for me. Like I could see myself certainly watching Kelly's heroes again and enjoying it, especially like the, for me with that one, it felt like I enjoy the whole thing and I really enjoy the cast of characters. But it's it's a big payoff in the end, and like the final climax where I did find myself like kind of like into when Eagles Dare like from beginning to end, just like we said because it starts right off anyways, Mm-hmm. and it just it 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 gripped me. So like big big fan of where Eagles Dare.
1: Yeah, I really feel like that movie deserves more praise than it gets because oh for sure. Again, I feel like I feel like Kelly's Heroes is relatively unknown with like people of our generation. It's not like a Movie that's much talked about. Same with Where Eagles Dare. I feel like Dirty Dozen has all the name value, and I feel like is you know the more popular movie, and that's mm-hmm. all fine and good. But I feel like Where Eagles Dare is like there's just like a level of quality to yeah. it. That mm-hmm. I'm just impressed by when I watch it.
3: And for me, it's like it's wild to say like you know Miley's favorite movie has my favorite poster.
1: Oh yeah, of I the mean, three.
3: And then even too, if I if you had to like laid out in front of me like the three synopses, like I would pick the Dirty Dozen one. It's just like, oh, this sounds the coolest. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's the most different, you know? and I think that's part of the reason that it's so well known and popular. Because mm-hmm. like Where are Eagles Dare, yeah, I mean, it's men going on a mission, but it you know whatever the mission is is it sounds completely generic, and it's all right. about like the content of what goes on during the mission. Hundred percent. And then Kelly's Heroes, like, that's kind of a cool premise of, like, oh, they're Mm going to, like, shirk their duties to go steal some Nazi gold. But, yeah, just imagining getting a ragtag group of, like, criminals and then turning them into soldiers sounds really intriguing. One thing I
3: forgot to mention that
1: I also, like, really liked about Where Eagles Dare
3: was, like, it actually showed some... Some blood and some gunfire action, Mm -hmm. which I wasn't expecting. They weren't like squibs, because I don't know where squibs became a thing, but it was probably closest to like the 60s, 70s, early 70s version of a Mm squib. But Mm -hmm. I was happy to see that stuff, too.
1: Yeah, there was something that happens once or twice in the movie. I know it's something that they used to do in films where they would like, I don't know what it was, it's like some kind of red putty or paste and they would, like, fire it out of a little air cannon into somebody's mm-hmm. face, and it would just, like, create a red blot on them or whatever, or wherever they were being shot. I feel like that might have happened once or twice in the movie, but more often than not, like, when they shoot the SS officer, you see Clint would take two shots, and then it, like, smash cuts to him, and he's already got, like, the holes yeah. on him. Like, yeah. I feel like mm-hmm. that happens more often than not, but there were a couple of hits that you watch on the screen. Yeah.
4: So I was glad to see that stuff. Yeah, there was one one where you see like a bullet hole in a guy's back, and it looked like it was that thing where they have like a turkey baster in their hand, and they squeeze it, and then that squeezes oh, the yeah. blood up mm. through the oh. Uh, oh yeah, like a tube out of their back.
1: Yeah, I will say uh really quick as well about where Eagles Dare. The one scene that kind of perplexes me, and as much as like everything else in the movie is so like well thought out and tactical, the one part I don't understand is when the alarm is set off when Clint Eastwood is sneaking into the room with the guy listening to the music to stab him. They have silenced pistols. If they're worried about him hearing them sneaking up on him, why didn't they just shoot him in the back of the head from across the room? Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that I, like it's there so that the alarm could get set off and the final action could really take off. But mm-hmm. It's like Lee Jones
4: part- lighting up that cigarette in men in black.
1: Exactly, it's like it, You can tell why it's there And that almost makes it uh, problematic Pick that
3: knit, Millsy Pick it mm.
1: Anyway, that, that's all I had to say about that Excellent, good job, boys So, Yeah, time to pick uh, the movie That we're gonna, or the, the trio That we're gonna be watching next mm-hmm. episode Oh, fun And uh, Brian, you get to give uh, the random number Jenny A little uh, little rest and relaxation mm-hmm. Take we, the week off we have uh, 234 potential themes. Which number would you like us to tackle next?
4: I'm going to make it uh, number 16.
1: Oh, Interesting choice. 16. Okay. The theme for next episode is 1995, the year it all ended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very excited. Very, very excited. Yeah. This one's going
3: to be good. Hey, Brian, Yes, thanks for coming on the show, man. This was
4: awesome. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Like I said, I I just, I love the fact that I watched three movies I probably wouldn't have watched if I hadn't been on the show. Mm -hmm. Oh, I had Where Eagles Dare on my DVR for a long time, but then my DVR broke and we had to send it back to the cable company, so I lost Where Eagles Dare. So this (laughs) forced me to watch it, and it was great. So, yeah, thank you very much.
3: Like, hand raised like totally that's me with this show with mostly all oh, nearly every episode mm-hmm. like oh something i know i should watch but i just never would get around to
1: and i love greasing the wheels of other people watching <laughs> movies that they wouldn't have watched otherwise mm-hmm.
4: <laughs> yeah it's just nice that i you know i watched something or uh broad my horizons like i mentioned earlier in the movie like it, i didn't think that war movies would be like this i thought they were all like just you know completely straightforward and it was nice to have my uh ideals of what a war movie could be bent a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah that's a good point man well hopefully at some point we can have you back on and uh open your eyes to how vastly different uh slasher movies can be from one another
4: yeah well we'll see <laughs> <laughs> Finger, fingers crossed
1: <laughs> brian's one and done he uh mm-hmm. he, he got a good trio this time and now he's out <laughs> yeah hey go out on top <laughs> yeah no promises we'll see <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, Uh, thanks once again for joining us, Brian. Definitely. No problem. And uh, until next time, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Brian Weiner. Thanks for watching.